Welcome back, everyone, to Green and Gold Rugby, episode 173. I'm Rugby Reg, and uh, another very special week for us this week. We've got another in our series of Rugby World Cup legends. Uh, this week, we're moving to the centres, and we've uh, delighted to have our special guest. We have, there's only two families, I think I know, who have won two uh, Rugby World Cup, who have two Rugby World Cup winning members in them. That's the Weddings from New Zealand and the Herberts from Australia. Anthony, of course, was a part of that squad that won in 1991, and eight years later, his younger brother Dan would play a key role in the Wallabies uh, team that won win in 1999. And it's Dan that joins us tonight. Herbie, thanks for joining us. And um, am I right in saying that you were over there in the UK supporting your brother in 1991? That would be correct, Reg. And uh, hello to all the gaggers. I'm, uh, I'm a regular to your side. And congratulations on all the, all the work you do, all the fine work you do for the game of rugby. Um, yes, mate, I was. I was over there first year out of school. I think I was, um, I was only 17 at the time and, uh, not legally allowed to have a, have a, uh, have a drink, but I got, I got offered to go over and, uh, chaperone a, a good mate of mine who, um, whose father had a travel company and, uh, he, he wanted to give his, his son a, a life experience and take him over to the Rugby World Cup. And I just happened to, he, he was a neighbour of ours and I just happened to have my brother who was in the squad and not actually in the, uh, often not suiting, sometimes he was suiting up, sometimes he wasn't, I think, actually. Probably not being fair to him, I think he did. He played with Samoa, game. mate, the, 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 he the, did, the, he did. the tough and, uh, but, but he, yeah, it was a different time back then, so he was the social convener, yeah. convener and, uh, and got us into all the, all the good parties and, uh, including, Including the victory party at the end of the end of the uh, World Cup, so it was just one of those great great life experiences. I mean, I um, I hadn't been overseas at that stage, and my first trip overseas was was to the Rugby World Cup that Australia won. I had a had an older brother who was on the inside, giving us all the uh, all the access access area, so it was uh, it was a hard act to follow. <laughs> it was. That's that's a brilliant story. Um, now we'll get to 1999 soon, but I wanted to touch on. So we're obviously focusing World Cups here. You debuted for the Wallabies in 94, and uh, a fantastic debut. I think you had scored a try first touch, or pretty close to it. Dad, would that have been right? Yeah, no, it was the first touch. Um, got a, uh, I got a, a very, uh, well, I, I suppose the journey into that team was, you know, I didn't make the first test. I, I, it was my first year running around for the Reds. I had a, I debuted in 93 in Border in East London, in an absolute bloodbath. Over in um, over in South Africa, and then I just had the one game, and then '94 with Jason Little um, earning some uh, some lira in, in Italy. Right. Got my opportunity with Tim, and um, and played that season. And then for the first test, um, they actually went with a guy called Matt O'Connor, who's now I think coaching Leicester. He yep. was uh, he was playing for AC2. He got selected for the first test and then um, got injured, and I got an opportunity then to um, to play. And Richard Toms was the 12, because Tim was out injured, uh, he and Jason both actually injured their knee, sorry, um, so Jason actually, even though I think he was travelling to back and forth to Italy, he, they both in, injured their knee in the 94 um, Super 10 Super final, final, so it gave, 
Yeah, I got myself and Richard Thomas were the centres that day, and um, and Michael Lino, who you're familiar with, um, he uh, he threw me a cutout pass the very first, now well, probably the first three minutes, I think it was, and um, and just a, a yawning gap opened up in front of me. Campisi was was the danger man, so the the defence hung off me and went straight to Campisi, and and I had a pretty well uh, pretty well open run to the line, and. Um, it was about 95 metres, I think. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds like one of my chip tries. And chase, chip, chip and chase and, <laughs> and, uh, and all the rest of it. But, yeah, it was very. It was one of those introductions that you dream of that that, uh, that, that came and, uh, you know, never got never got any easier after that, that's for sure. But um, that was a great way to start and it gave me the confidence that day that, that I probably needed to, um, you know, to play at the match and then had a few more games that year and... Uh, and then uh, Rugby World Cup number three was, was around the corner in '95, and that was in South Africa. It was probably all. Um, it was all as a as a young kid, and at the time we had uh, what was it called WRC? You know, the yeah. um, Kerry Packer was yep. Kerry Packer was trying to um, trying to buy the game, and and it was just a really interesting time as a as a young twenty year old, twenty twenty one year old, to be in and around the game at that stage, where uh, you could just sense that you were part of something. Whatever way it was going to go, it was going to be a, a defining moment in the game, and um, and that was, I guess, my introduction really with that whole that whole um, uh, that landscape. So it was a it was a bit of a, a bit of a head spin in my first year or two, and then uh, and then obviously the the World Cup, even though we didn't fare so well in in Africa, uh, was just one of those one of those great defining tournaments that I think uh, that probably took the whole World Cup to a whole new level. Yeah, so tell us about that first game. So you, the Aussies played South Africa in the opening game of the tournament and, and you started in that match. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say we were ambushed by South Africa, but they, they went away with the win. I, I think it's fair to say we probably would have been expected to win that test. Did you get a feel of the significance of that game? You know, I guess you're in the sheds pre-game and you, you don't see a lot of the uh, the paraphernalia that's happening out in the field, but could you sense the the significance of that? Well, I didn't have anything to gauge it by, so I hadn't. It, it wasn't. I only had a, uh, a tour to South Africa with Queensland in '94, '93. Um, so I didn't. I knew it was going to be a bigger affair than that. So I didn't actually have something like a Test match in Africa to to gauge it by, and um, and I knew that it was historic. I mean, you, you know, you throw Mandela into the picture and. Mm. And everything that was going on around uh, around that, and uh, you knew it was significant. But probably as a 21-year-old, you kind of uh, you're not, you know, you haven't you're experiencing it for the first time, so you're not actually aware of how significant this moment is. Other than yeah, it's a World Cup, and you hope that you got another three or two or three in you, and, uh, and this one just happens to be in Africa. And all all you really focused on is, you know, all I was focused on was I'm just going to go out and. Get the better of my opposite opposite number, and hopefully get us toward a win. But um, but yeah, you could sense. I mean, and, and I didn't know. I thought maybe this is just how it is in Africa. Maybe they're just so intense you couldn't go anywhere without having a um, security guard, an armed guard, chaperone you wherever you went. And I was probably, um, you know, looking back, I was I was I was a bit immature at that stage also, and, and just not realising the enormity of the of the opportunity, and um, and probably that. Across the board, galvanised the the squad for me at least. Had a taste of it. It didn't, uh, you know, we didn't 
we didn't um, reach expectation, and then I think that was what started to go around the team four years later. And even though there was there was a dark time in the middle of it, in in uh, in terms of some bad test losses, um, by and large, a lot of that squad were around four years later that uh, that committed to um, to doing everything they could to to bring it back in '99. Yeah, it's a really good point, that we'll get to that. But this '95 team, and they they got knocked out in that quarter final uh, to England. Uh, through that uh, Rob Andrew uh, droppy. Uh, going into the tournament, were you confident? Did you think you had the team and the squad? I know there's a few injuries around, but were you confident that you you could challenge it? Oh, yeah, I think you're always confident. I think yeah. that's the, you know, that's the, uh, I guess, the great um, seductress of, uh, of sport is you're always confident. You're fit, you're strong. You think that, uh, you know, you work hard and um, it should just come together, but... It comes down to so much on the day that um, you know, depending on depending on how close the teams are. I mean, you look at you look at te- you know, close test matches, or you know, probably the top uh, maybe six nations in the world. Even looking at Super Rugby at the moment, I would regard Super Rugby as you know, there's a five percent difference between the top and the bottom teams, and uh, depending on the day, your top your top team can lose your bottom team, and and I think when you get to that level up against an Africa or a New Zealand or an England. It comes down to a couple of key moments and how you handle those key moments. And uh, sometimes you need to bounce the ball, and sometimes you need the referee on your side, and sometimes you know you need the uh, the injury guards on your side as well. And uh, and you know we went into that we went into that World Cup. We had a couple of key injuries. Tim Horan was still coming back from his knee. Phil Kearns, from memory, was was in quite a bad way, but. You know they were still considered to be so important to the uh, to the list that that we uh, and to the team that we needed them there and um, they they were probably 85 90 percent but um, you know they, they probably weren't quite weren't quite at their best but their best was probably better than the next one yeah, <laughs> which right, was yeah. for Tim but uh, but uh, yeah I think yeah, it, that came down to that was a a Rob Andrew field goal in the uh, in the quarter final and the ironic thing. About that was um, they uh, their kicking coach was a guy called Dave Allred who was the kicking coach for the Wallabies and attended every Wallaby session oh, for really? and I think and I think the lead up for about twelve I think it was about twelve months leading into the World Cup he came along to um, to along he was part of the Wallaby squad part of the wow. Wallaby training squad but wasn't chosen to go over for the uh, for the Rugby World Cup but. Uh, Videotaped every session, got every handout, knew every move back to front, line out, everything. He was, he was in every team. Oh. And, uh, didn't go to the World Cup, but turned up as part of the English team management <laughs> at the World Cup. And uh, his kicker Rob Andrew kicks the winning field goal. And, you know, I just, I just thought that was that was one of the uh, one of the funnier things seeing seeing a guy who'd been with us for twelve months all of a sudden he's on the opposite team. And not only that, the ironic thing is. His guy kicks the goal, so <laughs> no surprising. They probably had our line-out calls. Yeah, exactly right. Along, but um, yeah, never, never trust a pony. And from memory, he videotaped every section. So, uh, <laughs> Just kept it up his sleeve. Yeah, that was that was some of the great spy work I've, uh, I've come across. But look, that was um, you know in, in the end, Rob Andrew, and it wasn't an easy kick either, forty no, metres. No. Um, but you know, I, I thought during that tournament. The All Blacks were destined, you know. Yeah, they, yeah. they had Jonah, who'd, who'd just come through with the peak of his powers and had just 
for me, he's still the most uh, dominant figure I've seen in the game and you know, before and since since I've been watching the game. And uh, I just knew as much as I was captivated by the World Cup, I was captivated by this one guy. Yeah. He's just so dominant. And, and uh, you know, I enjoyed being in a tournament that he was playing in and watching him just steamroll people. Yeah. And even though he had, it was it was one of those things where you look at, you know, are they the complete player? Well, no, he wasn't, but he had a skill set and he was bloody good at it and it didn't matter. He couldn't kick, he couldn't pass. You know, his, his catching was suspect. His defence was pretty ordinary, but geez, I can't fall in hand and rain. There was nothing like him. And, uh, and so that was where I just thought they were destined. But the, I mean, the Saffers, and we felt it in the first game, we, we didn't play badly either. Um, they were, they were just at a new level in terms of, of um, oh, I don't know what you call it, but just desire. They were in front of their home team. And we, we always say about uh, the South Africans, at home, they're just so tough. They just grow another leg. And it doesn't matter. Like, you could pick the worst Springbok team. They're still going to be hard on home soil. I'll come over here like they have done and get beaten by 50 points. Mm. But put them in there, you know, put them in Ellis Park or... Loftus or uh, or in Cape Town and, and they're a completely different team and um, it's a bit like the French I had a number of years yeah. in France and they're the same they just they just grow another leg at home and I don't I think Australians tend to be more more middle we're okay away and we're okay at home but yep. we haven't created this fortress type uh, uh, ambience at home where um, where you just do not lose. And uh, so that, I mean, we felt that in the opening game. We had a couple of moments, I remember, a couple of moments, a couple of passes that weren't thrown, a couple of things that, you know, could have easily turned, you know, opened the door where we put on a bit of a lead and then uh, and then that didn't go away. And then down the other end, Peter Hendricks got a, got a ball, got on the outside of Campisi, and, um, and that was that was all she wrote. Yeah. And that put us then into um, you know into the other side of the draw, which meant we were up against England, and then uh, and then if we got through them, the All Blacks, so yeah. it was a much harder much harder journey. And um, you know, I think uh, I think looking back, and it's always easy in hindsight. Perhaps perhaps Australia had peaked before yeah. that World Cup, and uh, and went into the World Cup with a few injuries, with probably just on the on the downside, and you had these other sides. Who are on the rise, and uh, and you know, I think I think uh, time again, you always do things slightly differently. I know I would personally, uh, and probably uh, you know, probably probably some of the you know some of the things that happened during that World Cup, time again. But that's you know, that's always that's always great in hindsight. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start looking towards '99, and, and and you talked about it, this genesis of a team that would evolve into that. World Cup winning team and you know there, there was still a bit of turnover I guess that couple of years obviously Dwyer was replaced as coach and Greg Smith took over for a couple of years and then ultimately McQueen took over in 98 and, and I guess that's that was a start of that great stability you know going into 99 you had a, a fairly stable team was there something in particular that really got that team clicking obviously that 98 season was was something special and the 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 clean sweep of the All Blacks and thrashing of a pretty poor England team but things just started to work was it McQueen was it uh, maturity of the team was it Larkham at fly half mm. well, it's, it's all there above. I think there's there's always there's a tendency when things are going well to think everything's great and there's a tendency when things are going badly to think everything's wrong and sometimes it's just subtle little shifts and and I think um, you know I think McQueen was a different style of coach and more the manager yeah. um 
you know the English style football manager. He's um, no doubt he had a had a good rugby mind, but what I what I've always felt about coaches is they're quite insecure animals, and they don't like to have people around them who challenge them, or perhaps uh, have people around them who are better than what they are and stronger in their own area. Whereas Rod was one who I think was quickly able to identify that. I don't know it all, and I need someone who knows that, and I need someone who knows yeah, that, right. and I need someone who knows that. And really, I'm here to, to be the uh, the joiner of all of these skill sets and make sure that I provide the overall philosophy, strategy, plan, whatever it might, you know, whatever you might call it. And I'm going to get these experts in to do their bit. Where uh, you know, sometimes coaches make the mistake of thinking, well, I need to be the master of all, and, yeah. uh, and I think that that he did that and we, we were changing too so I think we were you know the game had gone professional I thought we cottoned on to professionalism reasonably quickly so I think you know there were there were problems during the Smith reign that um, you know he was he was he was quite an ill guy I don't know for how long he, he had that illness but you could sense certainly toward the end of it that, that he was struggling with it um, but he, he kept it to himself he certainly didn't share it but you could sense that there wasn't something Quite right, um, and uh, and and I guess there was plenty of good cattle that we just weren't getting the, the most out of them, and for whatever reason, I mean, there's coaches like CEOs, they're they're right for that moment in time, and uh, and they have you know the good ones can pick their time, and and they know they know what to do very quickly to to turn something around, and I think um, I think McQueen came along at just the right time where. Looking outside in, he could see, geez, I've got Johnny Eels, Tim Warren, Dave Wilson, Dan Crowley, you know, all these, all these really good players. And then the layer below that, I've got guys coming up like Toto Kifu. And, you know, he just, he just knew what a good side looked like and, uh, and knew that he could get more out of it. And I think he, uh, as I said, he, he wasn't insecure to get good, really good people around him. And, and that just started to, um, I guess, that confidence then starts to grow in people where they think, you know what, they're they're looking after me, they're giving me the best opportunity to succeed and win a World Cup, and um, and they're just, I, I don't know, sometimes a flick, you know, a switch flicks, and um, and you just know you've got something quite special. And I always felt that that team and that, you know, around that era, that couple of years, we'd worked out what we were good at. And we'd worked out what we weren't yeah, good at, yep. and we were able to play to our strengths. And we was we were our strengths were we were smart. We had a really smart team. And you know, you look at the uh, the team, the guys that you had there, not just the leaders, you know, the official leaders like Eels and and Gregan, but you know, you had guys in and around the squad. Larkin, Roth, smart guys. You know, Timmy Horn's got a good rugby brain. Um, you know, Giffen, Finnegan. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of guys who uh, who think about the game deeply, and uh, and we, you know, we were the, the beneficiaries of a, you know, we'd worked out, I think, that we can't outrun New Zealand, we can't outpower South Africa and England, but we can outthink a lot of them, and yeah, uh, and we were able to adapt on the run. Where let's do this, you know what, that's not working. Let's go to this, and the whole team was in sync with A, B, or C, whatever we need to do, and. Uh, and I think that was look whether that was of Rod's design, whether that was the leader's design, um, or both. You know, I think the coach's job is to provide that environment where he, where that happens. And 
I, you know, I fear sometimes teams go away from what their core values or what their, you know, what what their identity is. We're not ever going to be as athletic as the Kiwis because they've got such a strong Polynesian influence, and they're they're just more athletic guys. South Africans are big people. You know, they've got the big Dutch blood flowing through, and they're big. If we try to outpower the Africans, particularly at uh, either in Africa or at any real at any rugby World Cup, because that's rugby World Cup, they come good. Doesn't matter where it is. Yep. That for them is, uh, you know, you look at the performances they've had at Rugby World Cups, they you know, very rarely lose a game at a Rugby World Cup. So I think, you know, I just think that team was a smart team and uh, and we outthought opposition. And uh, we had enough strength, we had enough skill, we had enough speed. But if you looked at us in comparison to all the others, you know, New Zealand was New Zealand was quicker, South Africa and England was stronger. But across the board, I think we just outthought them and... Uh, and we stuck to it, and and uh, you know I think there's that for me was was enough. Where you know sometimes I think we get carried away with uh, the adaptability of even players in certain positions, and they can play right across the park. Just pick specialists, yeah. you know, get get the experts, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know the. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a believer in this guy can play seven different positions in the back line, and therefore let's shift him around all the time. I'm, I'm a fan of. Pick your best nine. Pick your best ten. Pick your best twelve, right, and yeah. and, uh, and be done with it. Because uh, although I'm not a coach and I'm certainly not professing to be, I just found that that stability where we had, and we were we were the beneficiary of um, having no no injuries for a lot of the time. Mm. So we had the same test team rocking up. Now that is that luck or is that good management? Um, you know where. When I say management, that comes down to the individual looking after themselves extremely well. Where uh, you know, as I said, they just everyone bought into the same issue. Guys, we need to sacrifice everything here, and that's family time, that's fun nights out, all the rest of it. We all need to collectively sacrifice this if we're going to come away with the big prize. And um, and by and large, that you know that was done. Yeah, but it's interesting you say that about the injuries, Herbie, and, and I guess. You know, you go to 99, and I guess on the back of 98, there were some key injuries, and, and Matty Burke mm. had a serious injury, and Eelsey had a serious injury, and I think Larkham missed a few, and Finnegan missed... So there were four, you know, well, you know, three very serious. Finnegan was still, you know, in and out of the team, but they're pretty significant mm. injuries, but the team didn't really miss a beat. I mean, you beat it, that, you know, leading into the World Cup, you beat England, you beat South Africa, and you beat New Zealand. Mm. Um, I guess it's a strength of that team dynamic, and again... The guys coming in and knowing, having the confidence they could perform and whatnot. Yeah, oh, I just think there was. I mean, we had that was back in the day. You you lived together as well, so we yeah, had, right. We had base camps for months on end where you lose an eels or you lose a Burke. You know, you lose Burke, you got Latham. It's, you know, you're not you're not yeah. you're not going too far away from quality when you replace one of the best the game's seen in recent times with another one of the games best. Yeah. So. Eels, you lose Eels, I forget even who came in for Eels. Um, uh, well, I think Buzzard but, came in for a bit and yeah, um, yeah, Tommy so Bowman came back a bit, Bowman. so yeah. Yeah, so, so, um, so look, probably no one owned that position while Eels was away, but um, that, you know, they would have brought their own dynamic to it as well. Buzzard, you know, yeah. if it was Buzzard, he, you know, he's, a little, he's a lot more mobile. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it, it just didn't feel, I guess, when you're, when you're living in each other's hip pockets, you, you start to get very confident that uh, you're on the you're on the same page, and you know we're not going to skip a beat because, and that's what I thought the great thing about touring was because you're you're always talking about you're always 
interacting with these people, you're learning what they're like away from home and it's not just turning up to training and then going in your own directions. So base camp certainly for me had a had a big impact. You know, we had Coffs Harbour, we had uh, and that what led that stage we were at Caloundra, that was the first time mm. we did it. And it was it was quite in rugby in Australia, it was quite revolutionary yeah. at the time where, you know what, that's that's gonna cost a fortune but Ultimately, I think that's that's a uh, that's an investment in um, in performance that uh, you know they they reap rewards later on should the team be successful. And look, I just thought that was I thought that was a, a really important part where you know as you say you got the injuries, you've actually got physios and doctors who are there with you 24 hours. So it's not you book in for your half half hour session and away you go. You book in for your your session and you stay there. You yeah. do not move yeah. until uh, until you feel that you've you've totally exhausted your your rehab potential for the day. It's, you don't get in your car, go home, and and live an all life. You you're in this intense. It's almost like an AIS type scenario where you just don't get away from that performance aspect. So so for me that had a that had a big bearing. And I know time moves on and people say that and have different views on whether that's. Um, that's effective or not, but for me that was that was extremely effective. Yeah, that's really interesting because it yeah it does bring to light that that strong squad mentality and the the connection you guys had and the ability to to think on the field and react and so on. But also, I guess it prepared you for the tour. You know, you you mm. set yourself up in Ireland somewhere I think for the uh, the World Cup. That was a, a bit of a uh, home base for you guys. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Rod loved to play golf, so uh, <laughs> we, we ended we ended up at Port Marnock Golf Club. I think it was Port Marnock Golf Club and Resort or something like that. It was. Um, I should remember it's where I proposed to my wife. So <laughs> but, um, it it was just you know it was beautiful, uh, beautiful golf sort of manner um, that only the they can do in the in the uh, the UK and, and Ireland. And um, I just remember, I mean, it was one of the great, and you just go and do that these days, but we yeah. got there and the first day was trying to, um, how do we acclimatise? We landed at six o'clock in the morning. Well, guys, don't go to bed. That's the worst thing you can do. So let's, we need to stay out in the sun. We need to stay up and not fall asleep and have an afternoon nap. We need to adjust really quickly. So we're going to have a golf day. We So we had a, an official golf day organised before we got there and, it was sponsored by Guinness, and Guinness put on, I think, two kegs of beer for us at the end of the golf day, and two kegs turned into 19 a couple of hours later, and uh, and I still I still profess that is the best I've ever adjusted to jet lag. Is that right? I went uh, I went straight to sleep that night, and I didn't get to bed till you know a reasonable sort of 10 o'clock, so I'd, I'd Pushed straight through to about ten o'clock at night. Yeah, good stuff. And went to bed and woke up. Woke up at eight o'clock the next morning. I thought next morning feeling like I'd uh, I'd not been on a plane. And uh, it was, you know, it was, but it was it was a great start to the tournament where you know of all things the Irish the Irish always try to do that to you. They, yes. They load you up with alcohol trying <laughs> to uh, trying to take your, your mind off the game like they do a team a few years ago. But so it was uh, it was just a funny you know it was just a funny time and everyone had a few beers and then eight o'clock the next morning everyone switched on and away we go and uh and uh and the campaign kicked off and we weren't um even though i think we'd touched the kiwis up leading into that tournament i think we'd beat had a, had a record victory in sydney i don't think yeah. we, were, we were favorites by any margin i think the kiwis were probably still favorites but yeah we certainly felt we had um you know had things going our way we, we felt we had the the makings of of uh, of being right up there at the business end. 
And, and you know, you, you, we talk about 95 and you started straight up with South Africa as the main game. This way you sort of ease your way in versus Romania. Is that a good approach? Do you think you need that game to, to ease your way in or is it just another test match for you? Oh, mate, I... Look, I think it is what it is. It's one of those things, whatever way you go, it, it, you deal with it. And if you've got a strong game up front, you deal with it. it um, you know, I think the way that worked out, that was a bit of a, that game was a bit of a non-event. It gave us a chance to run out a bit of a, ru- a bit of rust. Um, the, I just remember the streaker coming on the field. Yes, and right. uh, it was a Triple J and Triple J streaker. <laughs> Only in Ireland would the uh, streaker, instead of getting kicked out of the, the stadium, actually then got ushered back to a seat, given <laughs> three drinks, and then interviewed on interviewed on TV as a pseudo celebrity. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a you know, quite a funny little experience that, uh, that that first couple of weeks in Ireland, and um, and look, it, it worked out okay. I mean, Timmy Horn scored a scored a try, scored the first try of the World Cup and got a year supply of Guinness. I thought there was another Guinness connection there, wasn't it? He scored it within yeah, the first couple no. of minutes or something? Or? Yeah, got a, got a year supply of Guinness, which he still got under his hands. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a, look, it was a good start, yeah. but we didn't set the world on yeah. five, only stretch. And, um, uh, you know, we built, we gradually built through the tournament, I think it's fair to say. We yeah. set the world on fire and then, um, you know, went through and, Probably another thing that um, that we'd started to get confidence with was our defence, and we'd had Steve Nance for the first time. We'd had a defensive coach, and Steve Nance. I don't think too many teams at that stage probably had defensive coaches, specialist defensive coaches, and and he he certainly gave us a shot. Uh, it wasn't Steve, uh, sorry, John Muggleton, Muggles, and yeah. um, and we had Steve Nance, who was who was our physical trainer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, both both deserve a rap and. Um, Nancy got us very fit. We were the fittest we'd been for a number of years, and I just remember just doing lap after lap and these these shuttle runs, trying to catch people down who had a head start on you. And just we spent the first couple of months just every every session, if you didn't vomit, you were you weren't working hard enough. Yeah, right. and, uh, and then Muggo working on the defence, and and it was a it was a new thing for us where we yeah we worked on defence and we had coaches who you know they would. Job share, they'd do a couple of things, and defence was one of them. It was no, no, defence is half the game, so we're going to spend, you know, we're going to prioritise and actually have quite a bit of our time dedicated to to this. And that was that was probably a, a bit of a first, where usually you do a couple of drills for 10 minutes and that's it. No, no, we're going to spend, I wouldn't say half the amount of time, but we spent quite a fair, fair amount of time on defence and drills and one-on-one and, uh, and technique and things that we hadn't done before. So that certainly gave us confidence, and that... That uh, you know, we started to get a reputation as it's really hard to score against Australia. They don't give up easy points, and uh, so you know that that was another thing that was that was working in our favour. Yeah, just the one try or tournament, and that was uh, by the USA. And and we had Matty Burke on a couple of weeks ago, and he uh, wanted to make it very clear that it was scored along Scott Staniforth's wing, not his wing. So. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, and, and I'll, I'll just like to add, I was I wasn't playing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clear. Uh, well, let's move on to the South Africa, the, the semi-final. You, you beat Ireland in, in at Dublin and Wales at Cardiff, which were you know significant games in their own right. But that South African one uh, in particular. And, and before we get into the the detail of the game, you know the great story about this was your centre partner, partner Timmy Horan being you know bedridden for 24 hours in advance or whatever, food poisoning or the what, and having to get dragged out of bed. And and he actually had a, an absolute cork of that game. Is that legit? How you know, true is that story? 
Yeah, I'd like to say it wasn't, just to uh, take a little bit of the mystique away from Sydney. But no, it was it was fair. I mean, leading into leading into the game, probably for a couple of days, I think it was. Maybe it might have only been the day before, but yeah, certainly that was. Um, and Tim, you could sense he was he was in form. He was there to play from from day one. You got a sense that he, you know, the special players rise to the occasion, and uh, and Timmy does. You know, he's he's one of those guys. You you put him in on the sprint track and. He only ever ran as quick as he had to to be yeah. the next guy. He didn't. He didn't run to the clock. And you put him in a test match, in a big test match, um, and he just thrives. And uh, and going into that game, he was always going to be given right up until the very last moment, and it was going to be his call as to whether he was up to it. And um, and you just knew once he, you know, once he got out there, he'll he'd probably start to be okay. And I think he got out there and. Yeah, he he just played on another level to probably the rest of the rest of the paddock. He um, he was sick. He was physically really quite crook. And I remember, I think he sat up, which was unusual, sat up towards the front of the bus, and he had a vomit bag on the way to the ground, and uh, just in case. And I can't remember whether he did actually use it, but he he wasn't in a good way. Yeah. You know, his colour was slightly off, and I was you know I was playing outside of him, so I wasn't yeah. saying, what have I what have I got here inside yeah. of him?" And uh, and the doctor said, "Look, I don't know how long he lasts, but he's, you know, he's determined to give it a crack." And uh, and we got out there, and he, you know, he was fine. You know, he just, you just sensed the the the, uh, the switch flicked, and um, the competitor, the competitive animal came out, and and it, it, a couple of things went his way. You got a couple of breaks, and he was just determined. And uh, and that still, I mean, that game for me, if you had to pick a, if I had to pick a game. Uh, throughout my whole career, from as long as I can remember back to my childhood, that was the hardest game that I'd ever played. Just from a from a sense of occasion to the to the actual physical um, side, the going into extra time, we were spent. I was spent. The team was was you know, and both teams were really struggling. It was uh, it was just such a tense period, and um, and I just. I remember I actually um, I got uh, cut. I got a, got got a couple of stitches in my eye, but very fortuitously at the time, um, or fortuitously I got the cut because I had bad cramps. Right. And it was in extra time, and um, and I got uh, ended up getting cut. So they were able to actually replace me. And the, the rules in those days were, um, you know, if you got cramps, then um, then that's it, you know. You, I think we were in some sort of um, strife where Vernon Pugh, who was the IRB boss, um, who was Welsh, and I'd had a bit of a issue because I'd got I'd got sin bin. I didn't get sin bin actually. I got uh, cited from the Irish game and uh, for a high hit with with Todd Kessler and Trevor. Yes, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and I had to I had to sit between them on a plane. Up to London to uh, go and face the judiciary because they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd determined some Welsh siding commissioner had decided that I needed to um, be rubbed out or at least answer a what I thought was a pretty dubious high tackle charge. And uh, anyway, we were playing Wales the next week, and it just happened to be a Welsh siding commissioner that signed Yes, right, and uh, and then uh, Vernon Pugh, who I believe was Welsh, he was the the IRB boss at the time. He'd, uh, he actually was sitting behind John O'Neill and said, we're going to disqualify Australia from the World Cup because your boy has just been replaced because of cramps and that's not allowed. And uh, the next thing I know, I was in the dressing room, everyone was celebrating and, and O'Neill walked in and there was a lot of uh, tense moments around, are you really cut? Yeah, oh, I've got four stitches, five stitches, whatever it was. 
And he said, I need photos, I need to prove to the IV that that wasn't just coming off for cramps, that that was actually a legitimate cut. And, uh, and it was, but, um, geez, I had some pretty bad cramps wow. as well. So it was, there was some interesting, uh, politics going on in the background of that wing where they obviously didn't want us to win that game. No. And, uh, and got through and, uh, that's all she wrote. That's amazing. It's, yeah, you, I was going to ask you the question about the intensity of that match, and you, you answered it beautifully. Mm. And you move forward to that next week in France, and we know the story that obviously France upset New Zealand, but that probably threw your planning into place. But how do you prepare for a team like France, particularly in that environment where they had just mm. sort of thrown it out the window against the All Blacks? Mm. How did you prepare for that match? I think going in against either we knew at that stage it was New Zealand or France, and. Yeah. We rated both of them athletically, didn't rate either of them intellectually. So oh, right, okay. we took the, you know, I certainly took from how we were approaching that, that we, we can, we can win from, well, we can beat both of these teams from playing, uh, you know, the same style that, that we'd played, which is basically we've got a couple of plans, A, B, C, D, whatever it might be, and you know, against the Kiwis, this is what you need to do. What they want to do, you've got to stop them getting the ball to their big damaging runners and their, their quick guys out wide. They like to play ball in hand, so how do we you know, how do we pressure them into stopping that? The French um, and we played the Kiwis, I think, two or three times that year already. So and we I think we'd won the last one leading in having sit in quite well. Um, Rod Carter, I think, a number ten for Stephen Arthur in that game, and we won we won very well. And then I guess the all of the planning had been done for the Kiwis because yes. France had had a very Four Five Nations or Six Nations, whatever it was in those days, and um, and I think they finished last. And then they came into the tournament, and uh, they weren't setting the world on fire either at the start of the tournament. And from memory, they sacked their coach yeah, right. right at the start of the tournament. And uh, and basically, I think it was Abdel Benazir was the captain, took over coaching as well, and their, their senior players took over. And, and uh, you know, it was just typical French, and uh, and only the French can thrive in those sorts those sorts of environments and um, they just struggled along. I think they had a really close victory against Ireland maybe in a in a, uh, a quarter-final um, where they just snuck through and no one gave them any chance against mm. the, the Kiwis and and us included. We didn't give them any chance either and we'd done all that planning uh, well you know, during the tournament so we'd played them and, and we actually had a Kiwi plan that we, we had well in advance of, of having to face them. Um, and we hadn't done anything on France, and so we sat there, watched the game, and it looked like uh, New Zealand were going to going to run away with it. <clears throat> and then, um, and then the frogs just turned on a very special half of rugby, where uh, you know it, it still would be regarded by by many as one of the one of the most entertaining halves of football in the World Cup. And uh, you know, then we started. You know, the initial. The initial reaction was was yahooing and you know look at this this is incredible this is fantastic and look at how, how these guys are playing and then the realization was oh, hang on we we could play them next week we could beat them the most um, I guess the best sight that we had was the celebration after right, the yep. uh, the Kiwis where they're all standing around it was like they'd just played their World Cup final yeah and uh, you know I always find it funny during tournaments like that where people People get a little bit carried away because um, it's very hard to switch back on after you know you, you put all your intensity into that perform into the performance and then you're so relieved at the end of it and so happy that 
you just kind of knew that uh, that's going to be hard for him to back up. And uh, we we knew, I mean, we had a, and I don't know whether it's fair to say that of the current crop, but we knew how to beat the French yeah. simply to keep the ball off them. And I don't know if you can say that about the teams now because defence is much better, but they like playing with the ball. They don't like tackle, or they didn't like mm. the defensive uh, side of the game. They just wanted to get their hands on the ball and play. And if you starve them with the ball, they then start to get very frustrated and then they start to either give penalties away or after a while, they'll just give up. And we knew that uh, the French get their, their tails in the air very hard to pin back. You know, it's very hard to chase a team like that down. So you need to get on the board early, take the points, just just get ahead of you know, of them where they start to think, geez, this is this is a big lead to run down and then um and then um they'll start to try and chase the game and that's when things can uh, can go go our way. So we were we were confident but there's always that chance that uh, you know, they just get their tails up and uh and Fortunately, we just had to keep them grounded and just, you know, we we didn't care about whether we were boring. We just we just cared about winning and uh, and the way to beat them was keep the ball off them and make them make tackles, make them make them make physical tackles where they just you know they get frustrated and uh, and that was that was how we pretty well approached the final. Yeah, fascinating, Herbie, and and uh, wonderful scenes. Um when the team won and I'm sure there were significant celebrations but I want to move forward now to to this year and and you know 99 was our last time we held the cup what do you reckon mate are we a chance do you, do you give us a shot to win it this year oh yes I do I mean I think I think there's I used to have an opinion that it needed um you know it needed a solid build up and it needed all these things to be in the planning process just what I've seen over the last few years, it, it, you know, and, uh, and I've seen it at super rugby level where you can turn things around very, very quickly. And uh, so it doesn't take, you know, you, hear, you see coaches talk of three-year plans or five-year plans. You know, I, I don't think you need that these days. And it comes down to momentum. And you get the momentum, then just about anything's possible. And uh, you keep the right players on the field. And uh, you've got the momentum, you've got the referees not penalising off the park. Uh, it certainly helps if you've got the confidence. You know, that, that that team or that era that I was fortunate to be part of, we never felt in any game that I played, even one that we lost, I always got to the last few minutes thinking we were going to win. Yeah. And uh, you just always, I just always felt, you know, like we've got Horn, we've got Eels, we've got Burke, you know, we've got these world-class players that, They'll just turn it on and uh, and we'll get there. Now we didn't always, but more often than not we did. So there was never any panic. And uh, so I, I guess looking at this looking at this squad, um, they haven't got the runs on the board. They haven't got that confidence that comes with uh, habitual success. Um, but uh, but still, that doesn't you know come down to on the day and uh, you know making sure that you you make the right decisions. And you get those right calls at the right time. And uh, most close test matches will come down to two, three, four key key moments in a game, and uh, the good teams know how to make them go their way. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's get a bit more, um, I guess, uh, micro about this and look at uh, the team makeup and specifically the centre pairing. Who would you pick in the centres for the, the Wallabies? 
you gave me warning about this, Reggie. I did, I, I know. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't actually say because it's one of those ones that, uh, under the current under the current rules and not picking anyone from overseas. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Okay. Uh, yep. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that's the you know that's the landscape. Look, I went on record. I think it was two years ago and said that I thought the immediate future of the outside centre position in Australia was Tavita Kumbarani, and that was before he was he was at the centre. Because what I saw looking at the Australian backline was was guys that they were too small. They didn't have you know they had lots of small, agile, skillful guys, but they didn't have that plan B where we now want to play a power game, and they didn't have anyone for me who was able to do that. Even Falau, who's a big guy, he's not a power player. No. He's certainly a powerful guy, but he's not a power player. He's not a direct no. ball runner who's going to get you over that advantage line in close quarters. And in, in the outside lines, yeah. But in close quarters, sometimes you just need a force instrument. And uh, and I didn't think that we had one of those. We had some we had some creative runners, ball players, etc. But you know, a good big man is going to beat a good little man, and sometimes you just need to make sure you've got that base cover as well. So, I don't think he's the complete player. I think he's still, you know, he's a work in progress. I'd like to see him uh, feed his wingers and set up his wingers more than he does. Yep. Not just not just dial the ball. I think um, I think it was Campisi who who said that, um, and I agree with him. I don't always agree with what Campo <laughs> says, but I do agree with that. That's um, you know, that's something that's that's the job of an outside centre is to is set to set up your wingers yep. and uh, and to work really closely with your outside men. So I think he can do that, but he's got the power, he's got the size. Um, so I you know, I think he's worth I think he's worth investing in and, and working on. Um, doesn't help he's I think he's out injured at the moment. But um, He'll be back, he'll be back. So who yeah, do you pick a 12, man? And, and, and do you need to balance that? Do you Are you a fan of the the second 5-8 type position or do you just do you just you pick your best player or how, how do you see that 12 position playing? I, uh, I do think you have to balance it. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, some of the lessons I learned through, through my career and my experience were uh, I think the, the, the back line, not just the centres, you, you have to complement each other. You have to cover all the bases and... You know, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like picking a board of a company. You, you've got to make sure you've got all the skill bases mm. covered and not doubling up, tripling up on on the one area. Yeah. Um, so for me, the you know you've got to have your you've got ball runners and you've got ball players, and you've got to have you've got to have a mix of both. And uh, you you need some direct runners within those those ball runners. You need some direct yeah. runners who can get you over the advantage line. Who allow your forwards to keep moving forward, not having to run back to a uh, breakdown that, that you then just lose the momentum. So that's why I, I like the look of, you know, I like Kuhn but putting with him, you know, it's tempting if uh, if Kiddo was playing in Australia, it would be yeah, tempting right. to yeah. uh, to put him there. Who's, you know, seeing Kuhn run off him would yeah. be would be great. Equally, I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of Beal. Yeah. Um, I think he's one of the more creative. Guys who uh, who's played the competition, you know, the Super Rugby competition. Um, I just don't know what his right position is. Yeah. And as I said earlier on, I like picking players who are specialists in position. So I, like, I still like to look at him as a as a fullback. And I know I know you got Flower running around at fullback. You know, I I'd, yeah. I'd think long and hard about is that is that the best use of those two? Is it 
is it that Flowers the best fifteen or is it the Beals the best fifteen? Yeah. I don't think the thing that I don't I don't um I guess think is, is great in Beals game is defence. Yeah. Um so he's not a great defensive player and you know, as I said in the test you know in super rugby it's a bit different. You get more opportunities. Against a good team in test rugby, you're only gonna get a couple and if he if he's the uh, you know, they're directing the big the big runners at his channel and he's having to make a lot of tackles then I fear that those opportunities could come there. So do you need a more, you know, a more sturdy 12 who can make the tackles, but also you don't, you're not losing out in the, in the ball playing? Um, I think Gitto gives you that. I think possibly Liliafano gives you that. But you do, I think, with Liliafano, I don't think he's, <clears throat> I don't think he's as good a ball player as Beal, as creative as Beal. Mm. So it's a, you know, it's a bit of a conundrum. I think we were, you know, we've been blessed with a couple being Timmy Moore and Amanda yeah. who are um, you know who are just world class. The others, um, you know, I throw Tamura into that mix. I throw really Afano. Um, Do you think Karevi's ready? You know, uh, he's interesting. He's interesting. He's certainly got you know what I like about uh, Karevi is he's got he's got some subtlety to his game. Yeah. He's not. You look at him. He's 100 and whatever he is, 108 kilos. You think of him as a power runner and a and he is, but he's also got, every now and then you just see some subtle things that he does that you think, well, that's, you know, he'll just, he'll just, the way he moves his body yeah. where he straightens a guy and puts someone in a space yep. or, you know, just little tip-offs that, you know, would easily, have, you know, you wouldn't have thought any worse of him for not tipping mm. it on. You know, he'll, he just does these subtle things in his game I see every now and then where I think, you know, this kid's got something quite, quite special. And, uh, so look, I do, I do think he's um, he's certainly a, a talent. Um, I don't know defensively yeah. has he had enough time in in uh, in top line rugby. You know, if I was if I was playing against him as a as a backline, you know, and I was Stephen Larkin or someone like that, I'd be I'd be planning to run around yeah. those channels. But yeah. so he's uh, you know, I just think he needs to be tested more. In that position, and he'll get that in Super Rugby as he, as he goes this this year. But up, you know, he, he wants to be up against some pretty handy, um, pretty handy back three. I think as an outside centre, you, you know, you I used to uh, I used to really be on high alert against the, the Kiwis and yep. the, the English. who had some very quick back yeah, three. Right. I think that's where you and smart, you know, they had yeah. some smart um, uh, a couple of smart players around there. You know, Mike Catfring was a smart player. So that's where you, um, you know, you get tested as an outside centre defensively. Attacking, yeah, he's got some really good, you know, and I think he's worth taking a punt on. Um, mm-hmm. So whether he's in that starting team, whether he's in the squad, learning, yeah. I think he's got, a, I think he's got a lot of ability in a, in a big future. So, um, but yeah, the twelves, the twelves, the, the interesting one for me. I think, um, you know, I think it's, I think I would say Kurandrani, given that he, he gives you that something different at thirteen. Still think he can you know, work on a few aspects, but I do think he gives you that that edge. And then it's really who can who can complement him, yeah. and you know, who's who does that best and doesn't give opportunities for the opposition. So it's a it's a tricky one. We don't I don't think we have an absolute standard candidate there outside of uh, Matt Gitto. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, it's not too long till we'll find out. The Super Rugby season's in its second half of completion and the Wallaby tests, uh, at least domestically, will be here before we know. And soon after that, the Rugby World Cup, so we'll see the squad soon enough. Herbie, uh, look, really appreciate your time. You, you doubted your ability to, to sustain an hour, and I said you didn't have to do an hour. We've almost <laughs> done it, mate, so <laughs> great effort. Um, 
But look, really Build appreciate the insights. Yeah, no, pleasure, absolute pleasure. And, and, and reliving some of those fantastic memories of the 90s um, is a great era for the Wallabies and, and great to sit down and, and hear uh, some of those different stories and new stories with you. So, But let's hope the Wallabies can uh, follow in your footsteps later this year and, and they're lifted the cup in Twickenham on 31st of October. Hope so. I'll be there. Uh, you'll feel sensational. All right, Herbie, thanks a lot, mate, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Richard. See you, mate. And there we have it, guys, the great man, Dan Herbert. Uh, Look, personally, I thought it was a great listen. Uh, Someone who was, uh, I guess, known for his abrasive physical play. I actually find Dan such a considered rugby reign. He he spoke about uh, there about that fantastic late 90s team and the real strength being their rugby smarts, and you get a bit of an insight from it there with the way uh, Herbie spoke and some of his insights. Uh, joining us tonight, we've got a couple more special guests as we do, is uh, battling down the, batting down the hatches there, uh, Cyclopath, Dave and Sydney. How are you, mate? You're surviving? Uh, I'm good. I've got my, got my woolies on. I'm warm. Oh, that's good. And, and Timmy down in Melbourne joining us again for, I think, the second time this season. How are you going, Timmy? Good, mate. How are you? Excellent, mate. Look, uh, I, I just want to touch on Herbie, you know, Herbie was you know, a, a fantastic player for the Wallabies, but, geez, we've had some quality there in that 13 jersey, haven't we? I mean, we're, it's always talked about the number nine jersey and Catchpole and Hipwell and Far Jones and Grieg and, and Openside, I guess, with Wilson and Smith and War and Pocock and Hooper. But, geez, we've had some quality outside centres as well. Dave, it's a, it's a real depth for Australian rugby, and you look at some of our current guys as well. It is, and it was, I, I, was, I was thinking about this this afternoon. Um, the, I guess the transition from uh, one style of 13 to what we're seeing a little bit more these days, you know, going from a guy like Andrew Slack, who was just a really smart footballer, a great organiser, a good link man, um, a little bit, a little bit in the mould of someone like Conrad Smith, I guess, in yeah, a way, which yeah, is interesting. And then, you know, progressing through when we when we started to get these big guys. I mean, when Jason Little hit the scene, he was he was a big guy. I mean, he was taller than than we were used to seeing. He was quite strong, physically strong, and then obviously through guys like Herbert. And then we moved on to the the, the ones who went a little bit more from being ball players and more into these, you know, more imposing line breakers and and uh, and finishers, I guess, in a lot of ways, like um, like Mortlock and um, and on to what we've got today, where we've we've really got you know a real line breaker in uh, Kurundrani. So it's been an interesting, for me, it's been a bit of a transition, but it's good to see that you can still see a guy like Conrad Smith, who I think's like the, I reckon he's the archetypal 13. Yeah, I, I agree. think he's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, and, I love that really athletic one, the guy who can who can make the line. And little was that, but also set up your outside man, which is a real exactly. slack strength. And, and to me, I guess being a, a Rebels fan, you, you had some good insight of, to the great man, someone like Mortlock down there. Yeah, look, absolutely. Sterling did a lot of good things for the club down here and brought a lot of um, people to the game who had actually not been exposed to rugby. To when the club first started back in 2010 and Rod McQueen recruited him, everyone's like, well, who's this Wallaby coming down playing for a new club? Let's get along and have a see. And, you know, he had some wonderful games. He's usually got a brazy, tough, you know, uh, persona of his. And, you know, I, it's still in the back of my mind is that great try he scored against the Crusaders to set up that, yeah. you know, that historic win against him. You know, I still have memories about that, so... Fantastic stuff. Look, well, let's get on to this weekend's rugby. We, we battled through round nine. 
round 10 is a little bit positive for all of us. I you know, managed to bring all the, the winners on the podcast tonight, but um, let's uh, look at the results from round 10. And uh, first game was the Chiefs uh, doing a number on the Crusaders there, 26 to 9. But the, the big one was the next one on Saturday, the afternoon games with the Waratahs travelling over and down in the Hurricanes, 29 to 24. Dave, you would have been a happy man with this result. I was a very happy man. Uh, it was it was a little bit unnerving because I was watching it um, on about a forty five minute delay because we'd been out. I was up uh, start, visiting my mum up the Blue Mountains, and so we we're out. And we came back, and so I'd missed the first half, and they were watching the recording oh, right, forty five okay. minutes behind, yep. and I was trying to ignore tweets and text messages from various people that were coming through. <laughs> but it was no, it was a great game to watch. I really, um, it was good to see that. The, the TARS actually get some of those things to click, which have not been clicking. But I guess they've been doing this a little bit all season where they do and then they don't. So I'm not going to say it's a trend yet. Um, but, you know, their, their, their line speed was much better um, in defence, but also in attack. They, they had guys hitting the ball at, at serious pace instead of flat-footed guys, which we saw the previous match. Um and, you know, their first couple of tries they scored were really good examples of that, where they, they sort of, they constructed them well, they built up to them well with a lot of just really aggressive um, pace onto the ball with big guys and very fast clean-outs and fast ball, and which is, I think, what really, that's what delivered them the, the, the title last year was that sort of play, and that's what they've been a little bit sketchy with this year, I think. So that was a real positive. Yeah, I was going to say, and they the, stuck it out. They ground. They actually sort of ground the game out too, which was good as well because I, I've seen too many seasons where they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, it was tough. It was nineteen all at half time. But I just reiterate, you were saying it was good to see those big men um, beating the line, Palu and, and, and Skelton, and uh, your, your hooker there, Tali Lotu, who's, who's been fantastic. So and, and Kepu back. So some real good form there. Um, from the tar forwards, which sort of enabled the likes of Foley to to run his game uh, a bit more strongly than he has of late, and, and the rewards were out wide with uh, Beethan getting a couple as well. So um, yeah, a, a good win there, particularly uh, against the high flying Hurricanes. Tim, did you get a chance to watch this game at all? No, I didn't get to see much of it though, but <clears throat> just kept up with it on Twitter. But uh, it certainly looked like all the New South Wales tweet fans that I know of were, were pretty happy with the result. I saw. Parts of the replay, that I think uh, Dave's right. The, uh, the Waratahs of 2014 are starting to click a little bit more, um, and it's probably good to keeping a, a lid on at the moment because it's, um, yeah, they might fail again this weekend. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, like all of us, it's that back-to-back performance we uh, really need. But uh, we'll get to your little derby a little bit later. Um, Hurricane. The next game was the Highlanders down in the Blues, uh, 30 points to 24. Before we move on to this next game, and this is your chance to me. Um, Brumbies 8, the Rebels 13, and a real, um, you talk about the conditions in Sydney at the moment, but the, the down in Canberra land, it was uh, pretty dire on, on the weekend as well. Yeah, look, it was a classic grinder match out there. It just, um, you know, slow, uh, wet weather sort of rugby. You know, I, I think TT picked it earlier in the week where he picked a 6-2 bench and knew the game would be one in the forwards and one of the tricks were that we had to really 
uh, keep that uh, Brumbies pack quiet, and certainly uh, from Pocock and other players like Fardy and Arnold, and they and they certainly did the job there. They were quite strong at the breakdown, good at the set piece, and I still think we've got a few uh, concerns uh, at the line out there with Patley Arthur missing a couple of sitters there, but um, we'll, we'll get better at that. But just with that, you know, our back line, the way it's clicking at the moment, playing against a, a very much a makeshift back line there, and putting Liliafano at fly half and putting Spade out in the in the centres there. Look, they are good players in their own right, but as a new team coming in with a new scrum half and the like, it did really cause some problems and we were able to exploit that, especially um, around the fringes um, you know, at, the, at the scrum base as well as at the rug base as well. You know, uh, I think Sturzak had played a really good game there against his opponent and him setting up that try for Nafila was, was, was wonderful. Yeah, look, you talk, uh, interesting about that Brumbies back line, that Nigel R. Wong being at 12, and R. Wong's a guy that I've... I've uh, sung the praises of for a while, but this guy was playing back row about three years ago, two years ago, um, and all of a sudden, you know, it's one thing to go out to the wing and probably another thing to even front at 13, but all of a sudden where he's playing second fly half, it's um, it's a big ask for him, and, and I'm indicative of the struggles and the Brumbies, uh, I guess, injuries in their back line in particular at the moment. But, yeah, that Sturzak, I mean, we've wrapped him a few times. He's He's got a big chance, doesn't he, Nick? With um, uh, he, He's come along at the right time, with the likes of White and and uh, Genia moving overseas uh, next year, he's a, a good shot for higher honours and 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 not just being in the right time, deservedly so. He's a, a quality player and he's shown his leadership abilities and uh, he's prepared to step up. Yeah, look, have to agree with you there. And he's he's making a good good combination there at um, with Jack D as yeah. well. So you know, I think they're still starting to click with each other and um, you know they'll be good combinations to go forward both in the Rebels and the Rising if they do play again with each other. Yeah. Dave, did you get to struggle through this game? Oh yeah, yeah. I was, I was, in, I was settled in watching, watching uh, most of the matches. Um, look, I, I thought the Rebels, as Tim, Tim said, they they came with the right game plan and they executed it well. You know, the Brumbies have gone back into their shell a bit, uh, into their more conservative play, um, and it's a bit understandable, I guess, that as we, we've just talked about the makeshift backline, um, they're really missing. Uh, the ability of, of, of someone like Tamur moving them all forward, especially in defence, but also then someone breaking the line like Kurandrani. And, you know, Spate's a good player, but he's, uh, he's, he's a bit out of his depth at 13 at the moment. But, you know, equally so, guys like uh, uh, Sturzacker had fantastic games. And, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm quite quietly excited about uh, Jack Debrasini. I mean, yeah. he's got he's got all the skills. Yeah, he's got a good bird on him. He seems to have a he seems to have plenty of time to do things, um, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited to see where he goes. I think he's, he's got the potential to be um, a pretty useful player, not only for for the Rebels but for a higher up maybe down the track. Yeah, I'm bang on with you. And you, you Tim, you talk about the combination of these guys at NRC last year and, and potentially this year, but it's a combination we could see even higher, you know, in the not too distant future. So. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm a big Debrasini fan. He's he's got great skills. He's he's uh, got it across the park. So we'll see how that continues on. So well done to the Rebels, uh, second win in a row, um, and uh, helped give their season a bit of a boost after some of their indifferent form earlier on. You talk about indifferent form. I guess you couldn't call that with the force. They've been fairly consistent in their form uh, this year. Unfortunately, they went down to the Storm is six thirteen. Um, and another one of those fairly uh, dire games. Tim, did you get to watch this at all? No, I didn't uh, get to see it live. I just caught a few of the highlights. But, um, 
Yeah, look, it's it's just not the force that we saw last year, and unfortunately things are not um, yeah, clicking for them. They've had a few injuries and um, a few different combinations tried in the backs, but look, it's it's all about getting that team's energy, and it doesn't seem to be working for them at the moment, so they might need to just go back and rethink that. Yeah. Well, Dave, what about you? What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, look, I've been banging this drum for a little while, and I'll probably uh, incur more wrath from the West, but they've just their attack is just... Die. Yeah. It's die. Their, their attack is terrible at the moment. They 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 have enough ball to be competing and winning matches, and they're just doing nothing with it. I think I commented at the time. I might have had a few drinks by then, but it was like watching Forrest Gump shrimping before the hurricane. Um, <laughs> it just they were there was just nothing happening for them, and um, it was kind of predictable that they were going to do a force and lose by seven, which is exactly yeah, what they yeah. did. Um, look, it's frustrating. I don't. I don't enjoy seeing the force doing this, but you know it, it's not just something that's happened recently. It's been going along like this for, for a little while. I know they did well last year, and I'm not detracting from that. But you know they 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 were making use of their opportunities a bit better last year without being extravagant in attack. But now they're just really not making use of the opportunities. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to turn that around. Because um, they've got they've got some good players there, obviously, and a guy like McCalman had fantastic yeah. stats for the game. I mean, he, incredible run meters, number of runs, run meters. I, I think he didn't miss any tackles. Number of rucks hit. I mean, he's you know his his stats were absolutely fantastic. They've got guys that are putting in, but um, they're not they're not utilising what they're getting very well at all. Yeah, it's still being let down in those halves, I think. And I guess that's it. Yeah. That, that creative uh, vortex we, we talk about, there, there's nothing happening there. And uh, I've said it before, Albie Matthewson, you know, got them around the place last year. I think it's it's not happening this year. And uh, whether they're missing the, the enigma that is uh, 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 Matty Hodgson as well, um, it's probably a bit of a factor. He's on tour. He's off to South Africa with them now, so we'll see if he has any uh, input there. Uh, can turn help turn things around, but he's not going to be setting up tries for them, I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, uh, there's a South African derby that later that night with the Bulls uh, taking the Sharks 17-10 to 10 before uh, the Reds and the Cheetahs, and the Reds got up 18-17. Um, and we, you know, that's a winning streak for the Reds of one, but, you know, we'll take it. And as we try and, yeah, sort of justify our performances, uh, I think a, a win and a one-point bonus point loss is not a bad to a result. Um, I think there's three or four injuries from it, but that's uh, that's standard for Reds games this year, this year so far. So, look, 18-17, we were down, uh, I think it was uh, 10-3 at the half. It wasn't a great performance from us uh, in that first half. Again, you know, the a lot of kicking, not much attack oriented, and it took you know a couple of pieces of, of real classy play from James O'Connor. Uh, finally, I would suggest on the wing who got involved and a really nice break. You know, pretty soon in that second half to set up um, Adam Corsak, who's who came in early, um, recently named under 20s uh, player of the tournament. Um, came on as a replacement for Curtis Browning, who, who went off early um, and had a really impressive match, Adam, uh, and scored his first Super Rugby try, and, and then not long after, uh, hot on the attack as well. And, and um, O'Connor again through the last pass for the try, this time to Samu Karevi. Uh, tight finish, yeah, Nick Frisby fly, uh, field goal in there to put us in the lead, and then um, I think there was about 10 minutes ago, maybe a bit less, and then uh, uh, a 
let's call it a, a controversial penalty in the last minute, only for Peterson to step up and with a relatively gettable kick, hit the posts. And the Reds were safe in a, a game we could well have lost again, but now we're talking about um, uh, a good result for the South African Tour. So it, it's interesting how rugby works, uh, this one. Uh, did Guys, did you get to see any of this or any thoughts on that, Dave? I, I saw um, not all of it, but a fair bit of the game this afternoon. Oh, I was right. watching Sorry. a bit on when I, I, there was a replay, so yep. it's a sort of truncated form. Um, gee, in the first half, the, yeah. the, the cheaters were just making uh, an indecent amount of uh, uh, yardage up the middle. I mean, it was incredible. Though. They just were going through them uh, far too easily. It was, I was watching it thinking, crumbs, how did they actually stay in this? Because the, look, the cheaters looked like they could have scored three or four, yep. five tries in the first half. Yep. Um, but, yeah, credit to the, the Reds to, to come back like they did. And, um, look, <laughs> I don't think anyone could begrudge them having a little bit of a luck with a missed kick at the end. I mean, yes. they haven't had too much for a while. That's so, right. you know, you'd, and look, I, I think there have been a few few pundits who've been a little bit down on them saying, that, that, you know, they won, but it wasn't a great-looking win. But, you know, I think you got to you got to take a win on the road in South Africa and oh, say mate. it's a win. Yeah, and when <laughs> oh, a team's at a form, you know, you can't rely these big glorious looking wins it's uh, it's no. about grinding it out and that's what we Absolutely. did there no way and a very strong scrum I might maintain you know yes. Greg, Greg Holmes yep. doing a good job with Slipper and James Hansen there but uh, you know Holmes he's uh, uh, you know making a case for the Wallabies stronger and stronger as the week goes past Tim any uh, thoughts on this one do you get a chance to see this or any of the highlights no, just the highlights, but yep. uh, it's it's good to see that uh, James O'Connor is starting to turn his money back up there in Queensland, and look, it is good to see, you know, a win is a win in South Africa, and, you know, we're yet to taste that glory yet, but hopefully this year. Um, look, you know, as I was sort of saying off, off air before, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're not, uh, not that no one's really standing out at 11 at the moment, so maybe James wants to start putting his hand up for that role with a couple of more games like that, you never know your luck. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and that wraps up the round, and... Um so, you know, we saw the, the three uh, Aussie team victories to the Tars, the Rebels and the Reds, which was, like I said before, a good change from uh, the previous round. Uh, it's a tight one. Obviously, the interview with Herbie went a bit longer, so we're going to cut this short. We're not going to do um, uh, Cavill's uh, Furious Five or whatever it's called these days. Um, and we're just going to get straight into the preview for next week's round, round 11. The big thing, it's the Anzac Day weekend, and uh, it's great to see Sanzar get fully behind this this year, I know in the past, some of the clubs have done, done their own thing and battled with Sansa and the broadcasters in, in little elements about national anthems and getting in the ode right and all that sort of stuff because of the tight time commitments. But this weekend, um, the Fox Sports and uh, Sansa are fully behind it, so it'll be the full regalia around a lot of these games. And a lot of the, uh, I know at least the Australian teams are, are doing some quite special things. So keep an eye out for those um, as the... Uh, as the weekend progresses, the first round kicks us off Friday afternoon and uh, the Chiefs are taking on the force at uh, Waikato Stadium in Hamilton. Dave, this could be scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs um, the Chiefs looked pretty handy on the weekend, as they uh, as they usually do. Um, I, just, I just can't see the force... Uh, matching it with them, um, and even if they do manage to sort of match it defensively, they just won't have enough. I mean, the, the Chiefs are going to score points; they always do. Yeah. So I just don't think the Force have enough points in them, even if they put in a phenomenal um, 
uh, the force put in a phenomenal defensive effort. I just can't see them staying close enough. So, Timmy, yourself, any hope? No, none at all. You know, I'm parochial Aussie, but look, I don't think the force have got any any chance there. Even without Cruden in the team, which is sad yeah, to see him do his ACL, yeah. and good luck, good luck for a speedy recovery, I think. Yeah, fours like uh, Retallick and Messman, and you've got Sonny Bill out in the back line. This got too much. Yeah, okay, so I think we're all saying the Chiefs by plenty in that one. Um, next game is Friday night in Canberra, and the Brumbies will be taking on the Highlanders. I believe Kurandrani might be back for the Brumbies this round, which will be a great boost for them, um, but still a, a tough outing for uh, them as they take on the Highlanders, who have proved themselves a fairly handy uh, outfit this year. Timmy, what's your feeling on this one? Oh, look, this it's going to be a tough one to pick. I think looking at the Brumbies pack last weekend, yeah, they were good, but they, there was a lot of injuries being carried into that match. You can see Arnold struck up to the yeah. hills, and you know um, J.P. Smith didn't really have a great starting match, so you know it's it's going to be tough for them there as well. The, the Highlanders pack's clicking quite nicely there, but you know there's sort of that uh, that raw talent out in the back line, which is really you know if, if there's no extra um, Wallaby class players coming back to that Brumbies back line, they're really going to struggle. I think. Yeah, Dave, what about you? Uh, oh, look, I, I agree. I think um, even taking into account the the uh, Fortress Canberra yep. uh, factor, which obviously was a bit creaky last week. Um, I think it was empty last week. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Everyone was washed out of the stadium, probably. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think the Highlanders are a really big chance. Um, I really... The Brumbies are going to have to step up a gear... Um, to, to keep them out, I think. The, the Highlanders have got some, some really good players there, and I think they'll, um, depending on the conditions, I guess, as well, but I think they'll, yeah. they'll probably, they'll be, will be an upset, I guess, if the book the way the bookies would look at it. Yeah, I, I'm edging your way. I think the Highlanders as well. Next game, uh, quickly, we've got the Crusaders taking on the Blues over in Christchurch. Quick tip from you guys, Tim. I think the Crusaders will get this one. Uh, Dave, what about you? Oh... Uh. <laughs> Yeah, probably the Crusaders. I mean, who knows with the Blues? Um, but yeah, the Crusaders, I'd say. Yeah, back in the day, you'd, you'd, you know, all these local derbies, you'd, you'd give the Blues a chance. I don't think so this year. I think it's Crusaders all the way. Um, our next game is uh, on uh, Saturday night, and the Tars taking on the Rebels. And thank God for a local derby, because this could well be the only Australian victory of the weekend. Um, <laughs> so we've got both sides. We could spend a bit more time on this one. Tim, feeling pretty confident after a couple of wins? Oh, look, I'm trying to keep a lid on it, but it's pretty hard at the moment after we have those back-to-back wins of, of 2014. Yeah, we're going in 4-4 at the moment, and, you know, we're, we're playing well as a team. Tony's kept the changes down, and I did really like the 60 combination on the bench, but I'm not sure if that's going to go this week. But, you know, um, it will be tough back in the forwards, but we're going to play against a much stronger back line who are uh, far more potent at the moment and really going to uh, do some, you know, causes a lot of headaches out there, I'd say. So, you know, we really need to be on our toes. Um in, in relation to that. Yeah, and your challenges, Dave, said those big uh, big runners, strong runners, and that forward pack in particular is going to be uh, put a lot of pressure on your defence. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, they'll probably try to target the uh, Tami and Mitch channel as well. So, you know, uh, they'll have a much, far better kicking game. You know, if, uh, Foley's been, you know, it was far better off the boat last weekend than uh, Lilia Fano was. So, and, you know, you, you just got to look at the ignium that is uh, easy at the back. So, you know, it is going to be tough for us, but, you know, I give ourselves every chance. You know, we just play like we did last weekend, grind it out and just, you know, have a bit of luck go our way. You know, you never know your luck. 
Dave, uh, from your perspective, obviously uh, a good win versus the Hurricanes, and as you say, it's really about backing that up now. Oh, it is. Uh, they have to they have to do all the things they did well last weekend. Again, if they don't do them well, particularly um, their work at the breakdown, um, the, the Waratah defence needs to be aggressive, um, but it's they need to be fast at the breakdown. They need to be getting quick ball. I think if, if the Waratah forward runners are getting them across the gain line reasonably easily and they're getting reasonably quick ball, we sh- you know, the Waratahs should win it. They really should. But, you know, the Rebels have brought the game plan multiple times, which uh, the Tars haven't, haven't adjusted to very well. And, you know, they've got plenty of players to do the same thing again. So uh, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't. I would never take them lightly. Um, I'm not just saying that because Tim's on the panel, but yep. I, I wouldn't. I, they shouldn't be taken lightly because we've seen that if there is a way to upset the Waratahs, it's to mess them around at the breakdown and um, get them get their ball slowed down. They don't get that front foot ball, and all of a sudden the the back line doesn't look quite so dynamic. So uh, you know, obviously that's what they're going to target. Um, should be a good game. I hope it's a good game. I hope yeah. it doesn't sort of get too bogged down. Yep. But um, I think it'll be a good contest. Yeah, I agree. That battle of the back row should be superb. So, yeah. look, I'll, I'll go with the Waratahs only because I think they're experienced. I think you saw the, the influence of Chica on, on the outcome versus the Hurricanes, and I think he'll be at them to make sure they reproduce again. Um, but in saying that, I, you know, this Rebel team's a different team than they have been in the past, and while this is uncharted territory, they're every chance. But for the sake of a tip, I'll be tipping the Waratahs. Quick one here, guys. Lions, cheaters. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll go yeah. for the Lions because they beat us. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'll go for the Lions because I, I think they beat us. Cheaters didn't. Dave, anything? Uh, cheaters because Orange is cool. Yep, cool. Stormers, Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Stormers Bulls I mean that, yeah um, I really actually I, I quite hope the Stormers win because I just can't really grasp the concept of the Bulls being where they are on the ladder yeah, I mean, yeah exactly right it's valid I don't I don't actually uh, I don't know that they really should be that high yeah. up the ladder yeah. for some reason but they are um, yeah so I, I'm going to go with the Stormers on that one Tim yeah, I'll go with the Stormers as well. I'm, I'm a bit baffled by the Bulls at this this time of the year, but uh, I don't think they've done the Rovers tour yet, so um, that will, that'll slow them down later in the year, I think, guys. Yeah, we'll mm. make that the clean sweep. And then finally on Sunday afternoon, great uh, uh, sort of uh, local afternoon game of footy, 4 o'clock kickoff-ish, Reds versus the Hurricanes at Suncorp Stadium. Um, plenty of Anzac activity there. And inside word, guys, inside tip, make sure you watch the pre-game show. The Reds do one online on their website uh, something special planned this week so keep an eye out for that um, guys before I go on do you Reds any hope or do you think this is Canes Tim no, I think this is going to be a, a rugby lesson there for the uh, Reds this weekend I'm sorry you know, that's alright yeah, they've, they've got all their All Blacks back in the time and they're starting to click they did did have a bit of an iron appeal last weekend but I think they'll want to come out and, uh, and make amends for that so Dave agree Oh, yeah, I mean, the Hurricanes have looked uh, very good all season. They they weren't bad on the weekend. I mean, I think both teams played a pretty good game um, and they were not much out of it. Um, but they'll be they'll be pretty annoyed. Um, I think with the Reds travelling back, I, I think it's going to be hard for them. Yeah, look, I'll obviously uh, 
prompt for the Reds, but it's hard to make a case, to be honest, yeah. on the grounds of football alone. So we might be in for a tough afternoon on Sunday. Uh, let's just hope it's a nice day and we can enjoy the atmosphere of a home match at Suncorp Stadium, which wraps up the round, guys. That's round 11. Uh, let's, uh, I want to touch on some quick news. There is a bit happening this week, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up pretty quickly. First is the ARU annual report dropped uh, this week, a couple of days ago, and they've reported a $6.3 million loss. Um, a loss that's not totally unexpected, particularly in a World Cup year. I think if you look through it, there's some, there's definitely some uh, uh, cost savings they've, they've put in place along the way, including the CEO's own salary when you compare it to the previous CEO. Um, some solid investment in the game at the NRC, the the uh, uh, the under 20 program and the like. So you know. It's not great to see that sort of level of loss, and we couldn't sustain that for many years ahead. But I think there's some positive rugby outcomes happening at that development level. I think with the DV broadcast uh, coming through, we expect. Uh, hopefully, it's a positive sign to come after that. Guys, any thoughts on, on the report? Any chance to have a skim through of some of the outcomes? Uh, yeah. uh, well, yeah, look, I, I haven't really looked through it. Yeah. But I've, I've looked at some of the responses yep. from people who are probably more learned than me in this aspect. Um, I think the general vibe that Pulver is doing a pretty good job, you know, barring maybe a couple of little issues last year, obviously. But uh, yeah. I think he's generally, as in terms of managing the game in Australia, I think he's doing a pretty good job. And, you know, I, uh, which, so I think there's some positives there to look at, as you say. Tim, you know, $6.3 million loss, 3.3 of which is been expenditure on the Rebels, is it a valid investment? Absolutely. Look, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that to the day I die, but look, you're dealing with one of the biggest sporting markets down here in Italy. Yeah. It is a tough one, and you really, if you're not investing in Melbourne in terms of sport, you, you're really not in the game, and I think they're trying to grow the game in all these areas, and there's so much sponsorship dollars, barring AFL and, and soccer and rugby and, and rugby league and all the like, but there is good money down here to be made. And you know, the, the, with, the, uh, with the success of the Melbourne Rising All Bar, that uh, semi-final loss, you know, that did bring the crowds in, and there was, it was a really good atmosphere. And you see people you know, at work, they go, oh, you're a Melbourne Rebels and Rising fan, great. You know, tell me about this team. And you know, that, that's a good thing. You know, that's what I like to see. So, and you know, I think from a visionary perspective, Bill's heading in the right direction. He's starting to stop the game from the grassroots level. Yeah, it is hemorrhaging a bit of money, but you know, it's not unexpected considering that we've got a World Cup here. We haven't got as many home um, home tests this year, so you know we are going to lose money in that regard. But I think we're still heading in the right direction. We're starting to cut fat, share the services and the and the load a little bit more, and you know build a more sustainable future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, look, I think one of the other outcomes of this uh, AGM or annual report dropping was uh, the announcement that. Um, uh, the AAU are going to do some next round of strategic planning and they're looking for fan feedback. So not, not a lot of information on that, but I, I think it's an opportunity for the um, the fans to have their say on where rugby is going. How far it gets, we don't know, but at least it's an outlet for us. A um, couple of player, uh, I guess, uh, uh, news items. Aaron Cruden, we talked before, looks to be out of the World Cup with an ACL, which is a big blow for the Kiwis. So they'll just have to call in one of their other three or four international quality fly halves to fill in in the meantime. Yeah, um, poor, poor them. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, Stephen Donald's obviously uh, warming up 
polishing his boots and so on. Um, uh, from the Wallaby perspective, I, I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but Bernard Foley's re-signed on some sort of flexible contract that allows him to play in Japan and, and still for the Waratahs and Wallabies, which I think is a good outcome. Um, God, I dread to think five, six seasons of back-to-back rugby, what that does to a body. I guess he's still relatively young. It's interesting, interesting too today with regard to those flexible contracts. I think the word from Bill Pulver was that, um, I don't know if this has been official yet, but I've read somewhere that there are only going to be five of them. Oh, right, okay. And basically players, well, like Foley, and I, I'm thinking Falau is probably likely to get one as well, um, will need to choose between sevens and fifteens. Yeah, yeah, right. So they need to actually put down their their marker and say this is what this is where I'm going yeah. um, it's not going to be sort of an open option so it will be interesting to see how it pans out I mean I think the flexible contract in theory has some merit but I think in practice it's going to be tough on the player like you say um, be interesting to see how that works down the track and you know if he gets um, injured from overwork and misses a lot of rugby here um, there'll be some hard questions asked I guess yeah absolutely um, yeah talking about other players signing Peter Beetham uh, signed with the Leicester Tigers only a couple of days ago, and the scuttle on Twitter as we report is that Quaid has signed a two-year deal with Toulon. But that's nothing confirmed there, but that looks like that's happening. So we'll uh, see how that all plays out. Uh, look, that wraps us up, but I did want to touch on, on uh, I guess, the tragic passing of, of Nick Tooth, who was a, a New South Wales country player. He took a knock to the head making a tackle in a game on the mid-north New South Wales coast. Uh, passed away after being airlifted to hospital. Um, you know, rugby fans is pretty much everyone's worst nightmare. And, you know, on behalf of the Green and Gold rugby community, the Gaga community, just wanted to pass our condolences on and best wishes to the family of Nick, uh, to his teammates, to the opponents and to all his friends. And, and in fact, he's, he's got some fairly close associates on the website. So, look, no mistake, that's a tragic loss for all involved, but rugby community is a tight one and a strong one. And, and uh, in short, we're all there for you if you need us and we're thinking of you at this time. Uh, didn't want to finish on a downer. Um, it was a great show. Really enjoyed it, guys. So let's keep positive and get out there and, and make sure we get out there and enjoy the rugby this weekend, be it club or super rugby, whatever it is. It's a wonderful game played by wonderful people, so it's it's upon us to get out there and enjoy it. So, Dave, uh, stay dry, mate. hope the house is uh, is strong and, and dry come morning. Yep, I hope so. And Tim, uh, off to the gym, mate, uh, waiting for a call-up for the Rebel Rising, I assume. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've just, I've got their number on speed dial just in case. Good stuff, mate. Well, thanks, lads. Thanks for joining us. Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, uh, we should have another in our series of World Cup Legends next week. We're moving to fly half and bloody excited about our special Ooh. guest next week. So Excellent. Um, thanks for listening, everyone, and we shall speak to you soon. Cheers, Reg. Cheers, mate. Yeah, right there, right there.